0: We're in John 17, we're working through this section I had talked to you before that is the longest prayer that is recorded by Jesus. It's sometimes called the high priestly prayer. There are several other designations perhaps that it's called, but it's the longest one. Now, you have a, I've wondered about this in my own mind at different times as you turn to John 17. The, the recording of this, uh, this must have been a pretty important prayer to Jesus. For him, it, it seems to me, we don't, we don't uh, in terms of biblical interpretation, there are several theories, what we call plenary inspiration, which means every word that's in the text is from God, is you know, spoken. The scripture says in Second Timothy that God's word, uh, the word of God is God-breathed. Uh, but there is some idea here that it's very likely that Jesus may have told his followers this prayer. How else, again, would they know? Uh, You know, you could say, well, in the plenary inspiration idea, the Holy Spirit just dictated it to them. Uh, That's possible. But it seems more likely to me that Jesus, after his resurrection, either told them all the details of that, or, as you recall, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're close enough that they're hearing this, that they're listening as these three, Peter, James, and John, are there with him, you know, apparently asleep at some point. It just raises an issue here for me of how important this prayer must have been for Jesus to have either dictated it to them and told them, hey, I just want you to know what I was saying. I want to give you the data on that. Or there's a combination here that they had heard some of it and that the Holy Spirit fills in the blanks. That raises several issues here. One is for me is how important it is. How important this particular passage is in terms of the, de- the date and detail. Have you had an experience like that where there was a story that you needed to tell someone or an event that you needed to uh, share and you were really careful about the details? Any, any, anybody? That ever happened to you? I, I remember when Becky and I, were, when I was in seminary, we went back uh, to um, Kansas and uh, making our annual trek. Uh, and uh, I, when we got there, Uh, I was telling my dad later this story because my brakes got messed up on my car. And so me not being a real good mechanic, but Becky's brothers, who were good mechanics but didn't like me, didn't put those two things together (coughs) too clearly, uh, they decided they would change my brakes for me on my car. And uh, so uh, that evening we go and we get into the little shed there where they're doing that, and Dale is working with me, and Dale has imbibed a few cervezas, and, uh, which helps kind of loosen him up a little bit, and uh, so he starts working on my brakes. and uh, as he does, I, I'm watching, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, okay, do you need anything, Dale, besides another beer? Um, you know, didn't want to get one of those, but do you need something, uh, a tool? Uh, let's get these, because I've got a 900-mile trip to make tomorrow, you know? So, so I'm, 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 I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, and he does this, he looks, he goes, ah, this isn't important and throws this part away. And, and I'm, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be in there because it's important? Nah, you don't need it. Yeah, but I'm about to go 900 miles now in this car. Anyway, he, he, he does all and starts throwing some other stuff away. And I'm thinking, you know, the details of this braking system have been fairly confirmed to be important to stop in his car. And yet he's kind of thrown away and he gets it all back together and he says, ready to go. So I get out in the car and I drive down the road right out in front of Becky's farm and I decide, okay, we'll see how they are. And I tapped on the brakes and it turned the car completely around. (laughs) Completely around. I don't mean that way. I mean, it did a 180. And I thought, you know, maybe some of those parts were important, Dale. Anyway, we finally get it worked out, and I finally got the car home. Um, It's kind of like that in life, that there are details here that sometimes are a little important. Sometimes if you're going to tell someone, I told my dad that story. He said, well, it wasn't that bad, was it? I said, Dad, let me tell you what happened when I tapped the brakes the first time. Car's completely around. He said, that was pretty bad. (laughs) The details. What are some of the details here? What are some of the features that Jesus apparently communicated to his followers, to his friends, about this prayer? We looked at some last week, and here's what it is, the Lord's Prayer. Number one is his mission. Jesus is pretty clear, I think, here on his mission. And we looked at this last week. We won't look at it again. That First of all, he said, I manifested your name. And all that that means, that the word name suggests character. Name always suggests character. It isn't simply a designation like my parents called me Cliff. There wasn't some designation about that. You'll remember in the Bible, often when something changes in a person's life or where there's some remarkable difference, they get their name changed. Abram becomes the father of nations, so his name changes to Abraham, right? Jacob, when he becomes the father of the tribes of Israel, when he strives with God, Jacob becomes Israel, right? And whenever Cephas, who is in the in the New Testament, when when he becomes a follower of Jesus, his name becomes Peter. With with uh, uh, Paul or with uh, with uh, Saul uh, in the in the New Testament becomes Saul. name always denotes a change or a matter of character. It's not simply something to designate. You know, hey, you, you know, it has to do with character. So that's, that's the first thing we see that Jesus said, I manifested to them, your name, those that you gave me out of the world for the, and then I want you to look here at this second. We did that last week. The second thing here is working is a blank deal. Here we go. This thing is acting up again. He gave them your word. Look here at what he says. Now, when they had come to know that everything has been given to me, verse 7, and your words you gave to me, I have given to them. Your words you gave to me, I have given to them. Now, that's interesting to me. We're going to look at this here for just a moment as we think about this, that Jesus' mission was not only to manifest the character of God, that one would be able to see, but also to understand and know the words of God, the word of God. Notice here it says, For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. Now this would take a long time, but I look at the word words, the words. This is fascinating to me. When Jesus, the words you gave to me. Now the, these guys are Jewish guys and had grown up in Judaism. And you may or may not know, and it's okay, that's why you come to class or learn that the the term, the words would have an incredible impact on these hearers. You have a guess? You ever heard this before? Is The idea of words. The Ten Commandments literally out of Hebrew are this. The Ten Words. That's all they are. The Ten Words. We translate that, the Ten Commandments. But literally in Hebrew, if you go translate literally, it's the Ten Words. When Jesus says this, the words you gave to me, I'm going to just guess here with a little bit of imagination, that when these guys heard that, their ears perked up. All of a sudden, they said, the words that you gave to me, I gave to them. They'd already had some words given to them called the Ten Commandments. But now these followers of Jesus know there were lots of words that Jesus had given to them that would suggest, just just, just just work with me here, that would suggest in one sense, like we talked last week, that the words of Jesus become now the words we live by. That the words of Jesus now become the words we live by. Now, I, I tell my students, this, it's not true in Greek, but it is true in English. Whenever Jesus called his first disciples, this is just part of cliffs, just being goofy and observing. But I want, you, I want you to notice this. The idea of the words, the 10 words. That when Jesus calls his disciples, watch this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many words? 10. 10 the words, the 10 words, the words of Jesus, where he says, listen, the words that I had heard from my father, I've given them to you. That now life is to be lived, as we said last week, in the understanding that Jesus is the final word, the full word of God. I have a buddy of mine, we were talking one time, I said, you know, it always makes me a little nervous. And I, I know that whenever we're dealing with God's word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're both inspired, you know, uh, uh, they are. But it, it worries me when some Christian people seem to have to ground everything they believe from the Old Testament. You ever notice that? There's a lot of that where people are always grounding what they believe in the Old Testament. And the New Testament of Jesus' words fulfills those words or brings them to fullness in a way that they're not in the Old Testament. We call that in biblical studies the continuity between the testaments and the discontinuity. That the Old Testament is partial at best, and the New Testament is complete and thorough. So Jesus says here, I gave them your words. Now we're going to talk a little bit here today. This is I, I do miss the table. Tell me, what's some of the what's one of the words that Jesus gave that we could say came from the Father? What? Huh? What? Love your neighbor as yourself. What else? What's another word, some words that Jesus gave us? Huh? Go? Oh, okay. <laughs> Just go? <laughs> yeah, go and what? Make disciples. You know, it's funny. Two-thirds of the word God are go. Just think about that. Two-thirds of that word are Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Lord. What, else? what other word or words did Jesus give us? Forgive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big word, isn't it? Forgive. What else? Love your neighbor as yourself and love one another. How? As I have. Notice that. Loving your neighbor is sort of the Old Testament standard. Loving others as I have loved you is the other one. Right? What else? What other word or words did Jesus, did Jesus give us from the Father? Huh? I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. All, all to the end of the day. Somebody said another word what? Life. Life. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big word, especially in the Gospel of John and others, that, that, that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Now, the assumption is there is you don't. Right? I tell you it was a and I've said this before but man the day it rattled my cage when I realized that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. If that's the case we've got several competitors at this with us. There are some other religions that make people good, okay? You just got to get reconciled to that. There are some other religions that make people good citizens and good people. But Jesus didn't come to make good bad people, good. He came to make dead people alive because sin's fundamental nature is to try to find life in something other than God. If I make more money, I'll have a good life. If I get more friends, I'll have a good life. If I get more things, I'll have a better life. If I could just get the right mate, I'll have a better life. If well, All kinds of things that we think bring us life. Yeah, here's a, here's one word that I, it's it's interesting. A guy wrote a book about this some years ago, but the the word that Jesus came and brought from the Father was the idea of the kingdom of God. If you look at the New Testament, the word that Jesus refers to the most is the kingdom of God. Now he's got it all reformulated. It's not Israel. It's not kicking the Romans out. It's not it's not bringing Israel back to prominence. In fact, I would suggest to you whenever you see that word, the kingdom of God, you translate it a little bit differently. It's not completely different, but it's a, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. The, the, the word kingdom is basileia, which means a king or kingdom. But the word, you can turn it into a verb by basileo, which means this, the rule of God. See, the kingdom of God is the extent to which God is ruling In my life and your life. The kingdom of God is not just some political thing. It's not just something for the future. It's not that something just gets set up later. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the lives and hearts of people. And that's one of the words that Jesus came to give them. The the, the word, the, the rule of God, when he said the rule of God is here, a question. Yes. i I yes, uh Stuart for recording and for others he's asking in this parable of the sower whenever they heard when it says, and the sower sows the word, and it falls in this ground who, who would the hearer have f- or what would the hearer have thought about that? Well, I think principally they would have they would be thinking about uh Torah you know you're going to have to begin there, and yet by the time of Jesus, there is a really elaborate system of um of teaching about that word. You know, the, the scripture tells us that Jesus taught one as authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Because what you have in by that time is you have the Torah or the law, but you also have Mishnah, which is the oral law, or what God is supposed to have told Moses besides what he wrote down. You've got Midrash, which is the commentary on that. You've got Pesher, which is an attempt to understand how does that fit into the future You've got Gerima, which is the teaching of the fathers. You've got Talmud, you've got Halakha. you've got Hagidah. How about that? <laughs> I mean, those are all pieces of trying to understand the word. Jesus cuts through that stuff. But I think principally they would be thinking about the Torah, the uh, first five books. But this is a really confusing time for these people. I think that's why it's more important, even to hear the words of Jesus, because he starts kind of cutting through all that stuff and begins to make it, if you will, more clear. Here's what I've come to, like the Sermon on the Mount or other. Yeah. How should we interpret it? The way I tell you. Any other questions? Well, there will be a test. I mean, uh, obviously, my first response would obviously be, um, what's that? The parable. Well, for us now, what is the Word of God? I want to be careful here. Because, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a friend that I know that that says it like this, and I want to be really careful here. Um. Because I believe in the totally inspired, infallible word of God. And his name is Jesus. We can't think the word of God is only print. If we do, we become rigid. We become resistant, I think, to the very presence of God. And I'm not saying that they're contradictory. I'm not, I'm not trying to set up a false contradiction here, that it's either Jesus revealing to me these things, or the Bible. No, the Bible is the most reliable source for us to understand about Jesus and about God. There becomes, though, in my judgment, if, I'm not, if we're not careful, a kind of a bibliolatry. For instance, look in your Bible, you gotta look at John 5, um, 538. This is where the, I wish it was an easy answer here, but look at John 5, 39, and 40, I think it is. Maybe I better look. Some of y'all just about hyperventilated think, oh no, Cliff's going back. No, it's five thirty nine. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, but you are unwilling to come to me so that you can have life. Isn't that weird? How that the very thing that is given to testify about the life becomes where people stop. Instead of the word, the scripture testifying to the word, the infallible, the in, 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 unmatched word of God, of coming to that, to meeting the word of God. So I, I, I you know, over the years as I've taught the Bible, I, I, you guys know I love the Bible. I study the Bible. I, I, I spend time in it. I, I, I love it. I, I tear it to pieces. I say to Becky every once in a while, don't you, don't, doesn't everybody see this? And she goes, uh, no. I'm ready to see that. No. And, and, and so I know that there is this objectifying of the Bible sometimes that can get very, um, very difficult for us spiritually. So I, you know, I want to be sure that the words that I read, the words that I know, that I don't lose the sense of the presence of those words. Does that make sense? I, I can't, I can't, unwind it anymore. I mean, this is a matter of, it's almost I don't, don't, It's almost dialectical in this sense that it's not this or that, it's both. But the Bible, the scriptures you have in your hand, are the most reliable source for you to know the word and the will of God. And Jesus said, I gave them your word. Here's what I'd encourage you to think about doing this year. I've got uh, um, some. What if uh, this year, all of us, we could do this. Pick a gospel, or all of them if you want to. Pick a gospel and work through the red letters. Just the red letters. I mean, almost make a, almost make a, a, a chart. Almost make a list of what were the words that Jesus said, particularly the imperatives, the commands. You know, somebody said, one of the things that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Do we know what that is? Do we know what those words are? To 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 invest some time in the words. Now, you know, I tell my students this all the time, and they try to make a connection here. Um, we just started the semester the other day, and, and they're all just you know like clear-eyed little kids. You know, they're they got their little notebooks and their little iPads, and they walk into class, and I say, I'm teaching right now. Okay, so start taking notes. They're like, Yeah, we're not. We we just started. I just called Ro. We just. This isn't. Hi, how are you doing? Let's go. Uh, And I tell them this. I say, now, through the semester, you will hear things from your friends who don't know more than you do. Um, They'll tell you, oh, we're not having class today. Really? Yeah, that's what I heard. I told them, do not believe anybody around here as to whether or not we're having class or not, whether or not I've canceled a test or not. Here's what I tell them. I am your source of reliable information. (laughs) If you have a question about class, you call me, you email me, you get on this thing we had called called D2L. I've had kids walk in and say, I heard there wasn't a test today. And I said, where'd you hear that? Well, my roommate. Really? I didn't know your roommate was teaching this class. I'm the source of information for you. Now, I've got texting available, phone calls available, emails available. We've got a website called D2L where I put announcements. I'm saying to them, if you have any questions, you have any concerns, you have any problems, talk to me. Of course, some of them don't. This is what Jesus is saying. Look, if you want to know what the Father said, listen to me. If you want the words of God, listen to me. I gave them your words, and they believed them. Does that make sense? I, I, I want to tell you, you know, you know me, I, I'm always trying to do, do this from this standpoint. As you start this new year, I've got a handout here today. It's in the back. We've got about 70 copies. If we need more, we'll have more. This is on how to conduct a Bible study. Day by day for a week. This is, you study, use this particular method. We've I passed this out before. You use this particular method in the epistles. Remember? The epistles, right? Wives of the apostles, right? So, uh, yeah, that, that's not working anymore. <laughs> um, this is a day-by-day, step-by-step methodology. It's back there on the back table to say, well, listen, if Jesus gave me the words of God, if, if he gave me where I, I can at least understand them, how do I go about studying them? So that's available to you. That, that's, if you want it, you know, you, you can use it. Uh, it's back there on the table. If we need to make more copies, we will. I can put it up on Facebook as well. So the idea of the word of God, I gave them the words. I, I, I asked myself, here's some questions I'm posing. You don't have to answer them out loud. How much time do I invest in learning the word of God that was revealed by Jesus? How much of those words do I know? I mean, we all know a word or two, but how much of those words do I know? That, that said, Jesus said, I, Your words I gave to them and they received them and they understood that I came from you and believed that you sent me. How much of the word do I understand? Have you thought about how much you value God's word? When asked for your opinion, when you ask for your opinion sometimes during the week, do you ever attempt to think, What would God's word? Now, you know, I'm not saying go throw in your opinion everywhere. I'm saying if people ask you, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you just walk through life and say, hey, you need my opinion, right? You know, I told you that, uh, that uh, uh, refrigerator uh, magnet my dad bought me when I was in seminary said, everybody's entitled to my opinion. (laughs) But what about when people ask you your opinion? Well, what do you think about this? Have you ever thought about in this coming week or in the coming year to say to that person, well, you know, I don't know. What do you think God's word may say about that? They're asking you. You're not, you're not being belligerent or hostile, but begin to say, what if, what if uh, we looked at what God's word said? So what do, we, what do we do that this week? Let's say that what if uh, this week you decide to give God's word in a situation in which somebody asks your opinion? What about that to say, you know, this week? And, and you might even say to a person, you know, I don't really know, but I wonder if God's word addresses that. They ask you your opinion. Should I do this? Should I do that? What do you think about that? Well, I don't know, but maybe we could look at God's word here together. If they ask, or find a way to give away a Bible to, or to give to an organization that gives God's word away. I tell you this, I'm, I'm a little amazed at times at the university, I'll say to students, now many of them have phones, most of them do, but I will say to them sometimes, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you come see me and, uh, and we'll get you one. I'm kind of amazed that, that sometimes our students will come and say, Cliff, I don't have a Bible. And I say, do you eat out at Applebee's? Because <laughs> I'm not interested in just you know, enforcing their irresponsibility. You've got money to eat at Apple, but you can buy a Bible. And then they go, huh? They haven't connected those dots yet. <laughs> but to say, do you need a Bible, get one? Well, you know what? Maybe you could say, as Jesus gave his word to us, maybe you could give God's word to someone else. Maybe so. Number two here. Jesus' Effectiveness. In this prayer, there's another uh, thing here. I see it's found here like in verses six and following. He said, um, I I manifested your name. I gave the word to those you gave me. That's interesting, isn't it? To those you gave me. For I I, I gave them your word, verse six, or I manifest your name to them to those you gave me. Now they've come to know that everything you've given me, verse eight, verse eight, For the words you gave me, I've given to them and they received them and truly believed them that I came from you. I ask on their behalf, not but to those whom you have given me. Verse 9. This is an interesting idea. Yeah, Meg. So you shared with her God's word. Yeah. Yeah. you, you, You said, okay, here's a situation and we're talking and discussing and I'm sharing God's word with her, and you blessed her. That's great, Meg. In yeah, fighting cancer, as you guys know, Meg is, is uh, fighting it and uh, has used that, if you will, to share God's word with people. You know, I, I tell you, I, every, every day when I teach, and what you're doing right there, I always say, um, you know, my words aren't going to make much difference in people's lives. Maybe for a minute they may you know think it's funny or something like that. But I live with the sense that it's God's word that will bring life and healing to people. You know, that, that it's God's word, not mine. I don't have to, I, I, do te- I do pray. I do pray before I teach or at the school that I will be creative, you know, not be so boring. But I had a couple of professors like that. You know, we used to get to the back, back wall of the classroom to get our head against the wall so we could go to sleep. You know, I've had a few of those professors. But also, but to be faithful, to be willing to share God's word and let God do with it what he can. And he can. That's great. Yeah, she put that on Facebook. If you're not part of Facebook, you ought to be a part of that. So Jesus says something here. I gave your word and I managed it to those you gave me. Now, as a theologian and somebody that kind of batters around here, you may think, well, let's just move on. Because this has this idea of Who's in and who's out? This has the idea. Notice it says that you gave me. This, this, is, uh, this is an understanding of Jesus' effectiveness of saying, look, the reason I was effective in giving your word, the reason I was effective in sharing your name is because I gave it to those you gave me. You gave me. We're part of a tradition here that believes that God loves everybody. And that God calls everybody. There's another tradition that believes that there's just certain people that God has picked out, and they're in, and there's other people God has picked out that are out. And they will refer to this. And I'm working through this and I think, you know, I don't want to be a coward. I wanna I wanna look at this. Because I, I think that there's something here that is both necessary for both groups. The group that that believes that God loves everybody and God is calling everybody and God cares about everybody and anybody can be a Christian that will respond. Or the group that says, well, no, there's only one group. There's only one, one side here. They're the ones that we would call the elect or something like that. And they're the ones that God gave and because God gave them, they're in, right? Wonderful thing to discuss on a icy morning, isn't it? You see uh, it, back to my to school every time when I when I work with my students I say to them uh, okay now we're going to get started here and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to uh, be working together and here's what I've done I've given you a syllabus with every assignment and due date you know I've given you powerpoint slides for every lecture that I give I record class in case you're absent or fall asleep or want to listen to it again for some unknown reason so that you can listen to the deal. I give study guides before we have tests, and here's what I say to them. I've done my part. Now what? You got to do your part, right? I can do everything of that, and it makes little or no difference before for them. It's so here's the question in this Idea. He said, "I the ones you gave to me, what's God's part and what's our part? I, I, maybe this isn't something that bothers you or gets in your mind, but I know people who are troubled beyond belief because of the thought that maybe they're not in because they weren't, if you will, given by God. Now, here, here's, here's a couple of things to look at in my judgment, my opinion, in discussing this matter, of this matter, he says, you gave them to me and that's why they're mine. There's this tension, if you will, that it's all God's work and God's part or the tension that it's all my work and my part. You heard it like this? And they seem to be irreconcilable. They they seem to be irreconcilable. And I mean, I've been in debates before with people and it got hot and it got excitable uh, and I got accused of being this and and I accused them of that because, you know, that's just part of theology. It's called a fight. Here's what I want to say first of all. The Bible seems to me to be very, very clear that God must work in behalf of a person, for, if you will, for their life to be changed. Let me give you some verses here. You can go look at them. We'll look at them. Notice here, in Matthew 16, 17, I guess what I'm doing, I'm talking to the group in here maybe that thinks, and I believe that God loves everybody, and it's all up to you. I want to talk to you for a minute. Uh, John six, or Matthew 16, 17 says this when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember what, remember what Jesus said to him? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But what? My father who is in heaven. I, I don't live with any illusion that human beings just on their own can figure this out. They just come to some day and study a book or read something and that somehow now they just got it all figured out. No, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father, who's in heaven, revealed this to you. And, and, and your Peter says, and the gates of hell, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This, this is the idea that God must be involved. Now, I'll tell you what. For me, this is helpful because I used to think back when I was in college and studied for ministry, I thought God never got on the scene until I got there. Anybody else think that? Not about me, about you, no. <laughs> it was all on me, right? I mean, I've heard people say this. Well, if you don't witness of them, they may, they may never, ever hear again. Really, that's on me? It's all on me. I can remember, I can remember stopping at gas stations and, and feeling that burden that it was all on me as my responsibility. I remember one time, I'm not kidding you now, at a gas pump. Hey, how's it going? Good. Mind if I ask you a question? What? If you were to die tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? He looked at me like, are you out of your mind? I said, no, I'm a college student. <laughs> With a mixed up theology. That's what I would have said now. Because I thought it was on me all the time. Listen, Jesus said, the father has to reveal that. I, I've talked to people before and and done, I, you know, I've witnessed to people before. And I'd say, you know, would you... Does this make sense to you? Would you receive Jesus as your Lord? Nope. I go, okay. I'm not going to argue with you. It's not my deal. I can't make you. It's not my responsibility to make you do something here. If the Father doesn't reveal this, now the question is, Got have to come back to Look now watch here. Uh, in your Bible, go to Acts real quick. I'm just going to give you several verses here. Acts 11. There's this tension, I'm going to tell you now in the New Testament, that I, I'm not going to get it all figured out, but when Jesus said, "These people believed and they did because you gave them to me," what on earth could that mean? Acts 11. Uh, Peter is reporting what had happened at Cornelius's house, a, a Gentile. He's reporting what had happened when he preached the gospel and how that the Holy Spirit came and these people became followers of Jesus. And he recounts that. And look what it says in verse 18 of chapter 11. When they heard this, this group in Jerusalem, they're, 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 he's at headquarters for lack of a better word. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. What? God has granted repentance. See what, what I think is, and I grew up in this tradition. I still believe it. I still believe God loves everybody, and God is attempting to 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 uh, to, to to draw everyone and call everybody right in. But I'm going to tell you something. There's an error here when I think it's all up to me. Don't you hear that? I grew up in a tradition that said this: you need to receive Jesus tonight. Ask him as your Lord and say, if he's called, you know, all that. You know, if he's working on your heart. But you know what? If you don't, you, 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 you could do it tomorrow. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's all up to me. I don't think that I get to call, decide that this is it. It has to be the operation of God through the spirit of granting repentance. And for us to be so arrogant to say, I can wait. I can decide when this happens, to me violates the truth of Scripture. I am not saying that you don't have any part. I'm going to get to the other side of this thing here in a minute. But I grew up in a church that in my judgment taught this heretical idea that you can choose any time you want. You know my students tell me? They say this. Well, I know I should be a follower of Jesus. Maybe don't tell me this, but we talk about it. I know I should be a follower of Jesus. And I know that that he's calling me. But I'm going to wait a while. And I'll come to him later. Biblically, that's insanity. Because that's the assumption that I'm going to be the same person, the same response in four years that I am today. We know that's not true, right? It's a great quote. You might want to write this down. I love it. It says this, The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Hear that? The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. See, that, that, that's that kind of arrogance that says, it's all up to me. It's all up to me. I could choose. In fact, I can do what I want to do and live the way I want to live and act the way I want to act, and I can do this later. Because what? It's up to who? Me. I don't think that'll stand the biblical test. God grants. Look, look at 2 Timothy. We'll just keep it. Look at 2 Timothy. That's over to the right. Go to your table of contents. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's it's just not that simple, guys. It's just not that simple. In Second Timothy chapter two, this is Paul's letter to the uh, a, pa- a young pastor a guy named Timothy. Surprising, <laughs> yeah, it's real real shocking. Uh, when it says in verse two twenty four, it, it begins to refer to the pastor. When it says the pastor's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind able to teach patient when wrong gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may what grant them repentance hmm. we, we we don't just sit around and say well you know if you're part of the elect you'll be in it says there you should tr- teach them and train them and correct them and 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 encourage them. It says there, you know, all you know, the the pastor shouldn't. He should correct them gently, and 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 be patient with them, and help them. That God could grant repentance. All I'm saying is this: when we are part of this group call, we think we're given to God. Like Jesus said here, it's because God's been active. And let me tell you something in my my judgment. Uh, If you have any interest or any sense of God, you ought to throw your hands up in the air and dance around a little bit, not right now. If there's any interest, if there's any inclination, if there's any desire, that didn't start with you. That's the faithful, loving spirit of God drawing you, wooing you, dealing with you. The worst thing in the world that ever happens to a person is when they get so hard and so resistant they don't even sense it anymore. And they overestimate their power. There's a great study called Dunning, the Dunning-Kruger, if you're interested in it. The Dunning-Kruger study is this. They studied a bunch of uh, younger people, which are always the subject of studies because they don't care about older people like us. You know, here's the, here's the result of the study. The more incompetent a person is, the higher they rate themselves. Just think about that. It's called a metacognitive error. Gerald, you know this. The more incompetent a person is, the higher they rate themselves. You know why? They're incompetent. (laughs) (laughs) I had a student come to me some years ago. Any of y'all remember George Scramstead? You know, Mr. Worship around the world, and you know. This student came to me in my office one day, and I'm I'm sitting in my office working, you know, they knock on the door. You busy? Yeah. You ask me a question. You want to talk to me? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a lot of free time in the office. I often do. Don't have many two people bothering me. Everybody gets bothered. Pam, they come down to Pam's office. She gives them a hug though or something like that, you know. When they get through with me, then they go get a hug from her. Um he said this to me, walks in my office and we're talking to him, Hey, you know, at crossings, you guys are never gonna really grow till you figure out worship. And I went, What? Now, that was back, we were probably only running 4,000 people. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, he said that. I'm not, I'm not making this up, I'm not embellishing it. He said, crossings is never going to grow until they figure worship out. I said, I'm not following you here. Tell me what you mean. He said, I just came back from a conference. I went, oh, gosh. By the way, way, there's also some evidence of this. When a person goes to a conference, whatever they learned, they're worse than when they went. I'm not kidding you. That's the data. You know why? Because they're an expert now. They got it all figured out. Now, I know what you need to do, Betty, because I went to a conference. So he says that, and I'm going, man, slow down, dude. He said, yeah, I know, man. I'm telling you, Crossings doesn't understand worship. They don't get it. I said, I didn't say what I was thinking. So I slowed down, and I said, I have a question for you. How many churches have you been the worship leader of to this point? And he goes, none. And I said, I did say this, get out of my office right now before I say something more. He was an expert. The more incompetent you are, the higher you rate yourself. We know this with students at the university. We never give a pretest until students have been exposed to the material, until they finally figure out how much they don't know. <laughs> Listen, I believe that God loves everyone, and I believe that God is calling everyone. I believe that God wants every person saved on the planet. But if you and I don't recognize that we don't have the power to pull this thing off, by ourselves, we're going to do real damage to ourselves. That's why I tell my students, when you go to chapel, when you go to church, you better sit up, listen up, and get dialed in because God doesn't have any obligation to talk to you or deal with you if you keep hardening your heart, right? See, we, we've, we, we've gotten to this Kruger, we've gotten to the point we, we overestimate our ability And we're not very dependent on God to say to him, thank you for placing in my heart a desire to follow you. Thank you for awakening me to my selfishness and my determination to live for myself. Thank you for agitating in my heart and life a sense of need That I know comes from you. Thank you for stirring up a desire. I, I, I was sitting at my desk the other day. I honestly wept. I don't cry much. I make people cry, but I don't cry that much myself. I thought, I'm 62 years old. And for some reason, by God's mercy, I still desire to know Jesus. And I don't think I know him nearly as much as I should. And I still struggle praying and keeping from being so distracted about everything else. But there's a desire and there's an attention that I know doesn't come from me. And I'm not saying it's because I'm elect or it's because God loves everybody, wants everybody saved. But I've recognized that. Okay, let me go to the other side real quick and we'll get out of here. To the other side, to the people, they want to just say, well, you know, God's got a group that he's elected and God's got a people he's called and they're his and there's nothing to do about it. I I know people that say evangelism is unnecessary because the elect are going to get saved regardless, right? Because they were elected from the foundation of the world. So what's the point? I will tell you this, and I'll I'll, I'll say this. uh, Our good friend, John Calvin, and I love him. I don't agree with him in a lot of ways, but but Calvin made this statement when he said that he believed that some were elected for salvation and others were elected for damnation and there was no way to change it. Zero way. There's nothing that can change it. Calvin himself and his institute said this, If this is true, this is the most dreadful of decrees. That's what he said. And he's the author of it. (laughs) If it is, it's the most dreadful of decrees. Now, some of us who are Wesleyan and follow a bit of a different tradition, we would would go. Let me me ask you if you're still there. go, Go to Acts. I want you to look at Acts real quick, Acts 10. I often think, you know we might want to at times go back to the early church and what did they preach? What did they teach? And can I say, and I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but I wanted to just give you the facts on this. This idea that some are elected to be saved and some elected to be damned is completely absent in the first 500 years of the church in what we call the church fathers. Can't find it. It's what we call the consensual teaching of the church. It is completely absent. It just shows up later in the Reformation. Look what it says in Acts. You're there now in Acts chapter 10. And I got a lot more stuff to deal with, but we're going to leave here in just a second. Acts chapter 10. Again, here on this side, we understand God is active, working, dealing. We dare not ever assume that it's all on us. But look what Peter says after referring again to this place when he had been at Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, he said, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. So here's this Gentile that now got saved. But in every nation, the man or woman who fears him and does what is right, is welcome to him. That, that's a powerful statement. That no matter what nation, no matter what people, every person that fears, and that word phobos means to revere or to reverence or to recognize God as God. He says he is welcome to him. There's nobody with the door shut it's like my buddy, Dr. Sutton, I talk about. The idea that there's just a certain number of people that are in means the door's locked, you knock on it. I keep saying, come in, but you can't. Come in, you can't. Come in. To me, that violates everything I know about the character of God. That God is not partial. That he is, in fact, welcoming every person who has reverence for him? You can look at this. I'll, I'll read it to you. This other idea that, that Jesus' death covers everybody. That, that Jesus' death, this is the most staggering statement, I think, in the New Testament. That Jesus actually died and paid for. Listen to this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 but false prophets arose among the people just as also false teachers are among you. Peter's saying, hey, there's already, listen, false teachers were there before, they're here again and they're among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Listen, listen, these false teachers will introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them. Who does that pronoun them refer to? The false teachers. That's the the noun. The antecedent to this pronoun, he died for them, meaning Jesus died for who? False teacher. So, So for some of us, we need this, if you will, recalibration to say, wait a minute, this is offered. This being part of Jesus' family is something that's available to everyone. It's my judgment that if we overemphasize our part that, that Jesus is available and, wants, and we just believe, if we overemphasize that part, we become prideful. If on the other hand, if we emphasize God's part and he's the only one acting, we'll generate despair. Because some people say, well, I just must not be part of it. Because if it's all God's part and I'm not in, too bad. That will create despair. I think either one of those, pride or despair, are where the struggle's been in the church. We've got to recognize both of these features. When Jesus said, you gave them to me, you can't get off of that. He did. He gave them. Why? Because God is operating in the world and active, and people are responding and responsive. So I want to suggest that Jesus' effectiveness, I know this is a long way around this, Jesus' effectiveness is his understanding that God's operation must be present and people's response must be real. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I haven't figured this all out for you. The church has been battling with this since the 1500s. But here's what I want to ask you to think about doing. Not that. That's next week. Good grief, how that, here it is. I thought i put that, here's, here's what I wanna ask you to do this week. If you would memorize one of these verses in these two categories, the category I gave you, the verses about it's, all, it's God's work, it's God's work, and this category of these verses where it's our response. When people talk to you or discuss this matter about salvation or being part of the family of God, we need to give them both sides of this. In other words, here's a person, well, you know, I know I should, but I'm going to wait. Hey, wait a minute. You need to understand something, how God's got to be operating here. Or a person over here, well, you know, I just don't know if I can get in. I've been too bad, or I'm not part of the elect, or I'm not part of that group. Well, no, look at this verse here. Got to have them both. Okay? You and I want to be effective like Jesus? Got to have them both. Let's pray. Looking up. Lord Jesus, it's our desire to know your word, to know your name. It's our desire to know how to be effective like you are. Help some of us today to recalibrate that it is not all on us, that we must rely upon you. And some others who may feel despair at times wondering if they can be that our part is to respond personally. Help us, Jesus, in this week. We pray it in your name. Amen.